Hello, church family. Today we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 21. Um, and in our study today, you know, before we even start this, we do understand that in life is often uh, filled with commitments, and usually the bigger the, the greater commitments, um, you know, it takes a lot more effort to go in. Right? Some of you people that are married, you understand that in order for you to make the marriage work. Um, it's not just verbally saying that you commit something, but you actually have to put work into it. Uh, there's something that you believe in and something that you work hard in. Um, and that transfers everything, right? If you look at some of the best athletes in the world or the best you know, businessmen, they're committed to their task. They're committed to what they uh, want to do. As Christians, uh, we know that we are here living as believers uh, with a purpose, and that is that we need to commit to knowing Christ and go and tell other people about Christ. Right? Our our job and our task as Christians is to know God and then to go tell other people about God. And yet, so many times uh, we fail to remember that that is our job, that we need to commit uh, to the task of winning people to Christ. And when we look at chapter 21, especially these first um, maybe 14 verses, uh, it's a very, it's, a, it's just really a narrative. And as, as we go through this narrative, uh, I think I would like to draw uh, to us just some principles about commitment to the ministry. Um, and then hopefully that transfers into the way that we live our life. And that if we're committed uh, to um, this main chief goal, which is to make disciples of all nations, uh, then everything else uh, should either uh, help us get there. Like um, if you look at business people, they they maximize their time to do their business well. If you look at people that are athletes, they they utilize every moment and every diet and every workout. They study everything so that they could be the best and most proficient in their field. And I hope that as we look through this, uh, we f uh, recalibrate our lives in the same way in the context of winning people to Christ. All of us have hobbies, all of us have things to do, all of us have jobs, everything else. And and sometimes those things can be, distract us from what we're supposed to do. Our main goal, again, is to make disciples of all nations. And everything else kind of um, should help us and, and encourage us to fulfill the commitment that we have in the, in the Lord. Because we look through this, um, I hope is to, to encourage us to, uh, to grow in our commitment to Christ. So let's see. Uh, again, this... Ba uh, little background of this book. This is Paul here. He's going on a journey to Jerusalem. This is toward the end of his third missionary journey. And the hope is that he is able to go and deliver uh, this uh, resource. He got this love offering from uh, from some of the Gentile churches. And he wanted to go and, uh, and go back to Jerusalem to show the churches in Jerusalem that the Gentiles and the Jews, there should be this unity between them that's only found in Christ. This is all the end of, or in the middle of chapter 20, um, in verse 4, where you see all of these different people, and they're all Gentile, um, Gentile believers. And they went on to this journey to um, from place to place, and as they were going and moving on from one place to another, uh, they were trying to um, you know, basically get to Jerusalem. But as they're going there, they're, they're meeting disciples, or they're trying to shepherd people. All of this is happening, uh, and Paul just wants to be faithful. And... Um, at the end of chapter 20, Paul says goodbye to the church of Ephesus, and he's uh, you know, shepherding them as well and telling them to guard the flock and make sure that they um, uh, they watch out for not just themselves, uh, the threats outside, but the threats that come within the church. 
So verse, chapter 21, here Paul is going, yeah, he sails from Miletus. He's on the way back. He's, he's toward the end of his trip before he gets to Jerusalem. But this person is committed to, um, to, uh, to doing what he was set out to do. So verse 1. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there Patira. And having a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. So, uh, you know, this word um, in the beginning verse 1 said, when we had parted. The word parted, it, it sounds very like neutral, like, oh, I'm parting ways. And this word actually, it's it's stronger than that. It's this idea of ripping apart. Uh, this shows that he has this love for the Ephesus church that to leave them behind and to go somewhere else um, and to potentially never see them in this life again. It was like tearing something apart. And he felt that way. And this is because of the commitment he has to the Lord. He commitment, he wants this church to grow, but he, know, he, he knows that God wants him to do other ministries. So he's leaving this church to go to other places and do his ministry. Verse 3, when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving in on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there was a ship. There was a ship was to unload its cargo. And looking up the disciples, we kept we uh, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. So Paul, when in his party, were uh, on this cargo ship, this huge boat, uh, and, and we know this because it has to unload cargo, and then it has to stay there for seven days to get all the cargo out of the ship, and um, and you know, it shows you that there's uh, there's this journey that they had to go through um, on this huge tr uh, boat, and um, and it said that they're uh, leaving it on the left, so meaning that they're actually kind of close to the shoreline, so it wasn't that far off, but just enough far enough so that the boat can move, but not far off so that you know, they they don't see the land. Um, and so what's interesting about this is in reverse four is that after looking up to the disciples, we kept we we stayed there seven days. Um, so Paul here in the in the party that he was with, even though that they were traveling, what they would normally do uh, is that they'll fi try to find other Christians there. Now I know some of us like to um, you know go on trips and everything like that, and I'm not against it. But I do wonder how many times when you go on a trip, that especially if it takes up a Sunday, that you make time, that, you, that in your vacation you plan going to a certain church. It doesn't mean that you have to go to, um, you know, like, like do, I, maybe it's more like, do you, do, you, do you plan into your vacation time to fellowship with the saints? It's very easy for us, especially when we go on trips, to just focus on ourselves and we're relaxing. And that's cool, but then, you know, do we, in those times when we're on those vacations and everything else, do we... Do we come, do we make time to do to to be with the body, uh, to be with the body of God, and that's important to Paul because he wants to strengthen those, he wants to be encouraged, he wants to pray with them, and that should be the desire for all Christians that we want to be with other believers, whether it's far away or close by in a local setting, there should be a desire for Christians to meet and gather together, and Paul here he he just kept go going and he went uh, from place to place. He kept looking for disciples, and if he didn't find disciples, he was making disciples. Um, and that's the attitude that we have. And how, why did Paul do this? Because he was committed to Christ. He com he was committed to telling other people about Christ, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. He wanted everyone to know who Jesus was. So any time and opportunity he had, he was looking up disciples. Now what is fascinating here, and it's usually the most controversial part, is like, what does this mean at the end of verse four? But they said they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Um, now, 
some people hold to this view that it's probably, this is where I lean towards, uh, but I can change as well. But some people believe that the reason why Paul uh, did not listen to these individuals is that he, um, he, he, well, the view is that Paul was disobedient to the Holy Spirit. And he, uh, in, in other people's case, is like they were trying to tell him not to go. That's what I le would like to lean to, uh, that in this moment where Paul, his weakness, chose not to follow the Spirit. But I don't think that's true, though I want to be that way. It seems to me, through the, uh, through the passage itself, and even knowing Paul's ministry, was that the Spirit warned, you know, was giving these disciples visions of what's going to happen. They kept telling him, like, oh, Paul's going to get persecuted. And I think that the disciples here had this love for Paul that he did, they didn't want him to go because they, they had a glimpse of how hard uh, Paul's life was going to be. Even though they knew it was going to happen, they, there was a burden for him not to go. So I think that's why he chose not to uh, say anything. I don't, think, um, I don't think the Spirit was telling them uh, that, okay, hey, you need to tell Paul not to go, but rather Paul, the Spirit was just showing them what Paul had to, has to go through, and the people, other people in their flesh, was, was you know, fearful for Paul, you know, trying to encourage him not to go. That's, that's the view, and I think people could debate on whether it's a first or second view, but I hold to, I, I would like to hold to the first view that, you know, Paul is in sin, but, you know, and some people debate that because in Romans chapter 7, Paul says he, like, he wrestles with the flesh and everything. Uh, he does what he doesn't is not supposed to do. And other people, I think, hold to the second view, which is the reason why Paul uh, still go went, even though there's this passage seemed to indicate that Paul was disobedient, was not so much that he was being disobedient, but rather everyone else was just concerned for him. I think that's a stronger view, mainly because Paul knew that his ministry was filled with suffering, so it's not, it's, this is not new news to him, uh, but he just went. And ministry is not easy, and Paul knew that his life was going to be hard, but the only reason why he went was because he was committed to the Lord. He understood um, what his task was and, and, and the, what you know, Jesus intentionally saved him so that he can basically put Paul through the ringer. And I think when we look at our lives, you know, if we're committed to the Lord and we're committed to evangelism and making disciples, it is going to cost us something. Some of your loved ones and friends are not going uh, to want to be with you because of your association with Christ, which is, again, not new. Jesus said that, you know, fathers will go against son and siblings will go against one another. Friends will go against one another. There's going to be betrayal and abandonment when you're a Christian. That's just a normal part of the Christian life. That if you want to be obedient to the Lord, you want to be faithful to Him, it's going to cost you. And that cost only comes when you understand your commitment to the Lord. And Paul knew that. He was there. He was meeting disciples. Disciples told him not to go. He went, he, he went anyways. Verse 5, when our days were ended, we left and started on our journey. Well, they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the bench, uh, uh, kneeling on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. So again, even though they were trying to warn him and caution him, tell him not to go, um, you know, they, they, I guess, respected Paul's decision enough and just prayed with him. And I would imagine the prayer went something like, you know, pray, give him strength to the, uh, during the, the trials that is to come. Because uh, they know what's going to happen, and Paul knows what's going to happen. And they went with him and escorted him and prayed with him. Verse 6. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in uh, Ptolemy Ptolemyus. And after uh, greeting the brethren, again, see he's out there meeting other believers as well, we stayed with them for a day. And the next day, 
we left um, we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven we stayed with him now what is very fascinating here is that this um, Philip is the same Philip all the way back in uh, Acts uh, chapter 8 uh, this is the same Philip that um, you know was one of the one of the few, one of the few people that were chosen to uh, you know to be deacon. Sorry, it's chap Acts chapter seven, six, uh, when there was you know when 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 the apostles were trying to figure out what to do, and there was an over uh, look of caring for the widows, and uh, the apostles gave uh, the the churches okay, find uh, several men. I think it was like uh, seven individuals that would be able to um, to do this because apostles were supposed to devote their time to prayer and ministry. And this is one of those individuals. Philip was one of those individuals that, <coughs> that were chosen and he was known to be evangelist. Now what is actually really fascinating was that the reason why Philip was here was because of Paul. Now remember Paul before Acts chapter 6 he was known as a killer of Christians. So when Paul was killing the Christians and all the Christians dispersed all over the place um, they they scattered all over the world, and Philip now is encountered here. Now you can only imagine what that's like when you feel when you are now hosting someone that used to want to kill you. And this was 20 years ago, from Acts 6 to Acts 21. That's about 20 year gap difference. And um, now Philip is hosting his brother, you know, his brother Paul. And it's, you know, 20 years ago he spent his whole life trying to hunt down Christians. Now again, this shows you the radical change in the life of Christians. Right when when a Christian becomes a believer, they're letting go of their old life, and yes, uh, Paul's reputation did uh, did precede him. People were afraid to entrust him, and but at this point, people knew who Paul was, and the Christians was able to accept him and receive him as their brother. And Philip is an example of that. And we all at the same time we also see God's providence in that. At one point, Saul or Paul was committed to destroying the church, but now when the Lord worked and changed his life, he was committed in building the church. He is with now, now he's with Philip here, and they're you know, fellowshipping with one another. End of verse 8. Who was one of the seven? We stayed with him. Verse 9. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetess. Uh, as we were staying there for some days, a prophetess named Agabus came from Judea. Now, this is a very, again, a strange passage um, at times, but so it seems that Philip had four daughters, right? He had these four daughters, said so they're virgin daughters. And why, why is that significant? I do think that the reason why this is here is because, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7, it speaks about the, uh, the uniqueness of singleness, where they can be devoted to the ministry of God. Now, these four, I think that's what these four daughters were. They were four virgin daughters that, uh, didn't, that just basically committed themselves to celibacy and living a holy life so they could be a useful instruments to the Lord. And the reason why that is is because they're called prophetess. Now, prophetess, this is not a new concept in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. You know, Deborah was a prophetess. Um, um, there are other prophetess in the Scriptures as well. So when we think of prophet, what does that mean? Does that mean that this prophet itself means that uh, they're able to write Scripture? Because that's often what we associate prophet as, or someone that could foresee the future. I think there is a distinction between those that are prophet in terms of like prophetess here versus the apostle being a prophet. I think the distinction is that the apostles that are being the prophets, they seem to be the ones that are able to write down and pen scripture, whereas the prophets here, the prophetess, seems to be the ones that give practical advice. The Lord divinely inspired both of them, but one of them 
was you know the apostle type prophets they were they're the ones that are able to write down scripture whereas the other one the prophets uh, are the ones that seem to be able to just give practical advice so the lord will inspire both of them the lord will inspire the prophet there are certain people that seem to be prophet to know the future and is able to give some practical advice and the reason why that is because verse 10 there's agabus uh, well agabus has shown up before he was able to predict something i think all the way back in acts chapter 11 he was able to have this foresight about um about uh suffering that paul was to was, or not really uh it's like a famine that was supposed to take place and it happened exactly that Acts chapter 11 verse 28 one of them named agathus stood up and began to indicate that uh, by the spirit that there was that would certainly be a great famine all over the world and this took place in the reign of uh, claudius so again this is there are certain people it seems like in the new testament times that were able to were given divine inspiration by the lord were to look into the future so it gives them you know either practical ways to you know they, they were given uh, by the lord of practical instruction how to live for the church well, at the same time there seemed to be other people that could look into the future so there there seems to be differences between how the prophet the, the that 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 title or the gift of, of prophecy is used like some people could look into the future others seem to give more practical advice paul here had both in that he was able to he was an apostle so he could write down scripture but he himself also knew what the future had to hold and he had divine inspiration as well so this was going on here there's these four virgins there's agabus as well that was able to you know prophet prophesize what was going to happen verse 11 and coming to us he took paul's belt and bound him bound his own feet and hand and said this is what the holy spirit says in this way the jews at the jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the gentiles so this is again another graphic illustration he's actually holding a paul here and he's telling him what's going to happen to him that he's going to be delivered by the gentiles first of all when we heard this uh we as well as the local resident began begging him not to go up to jerusalem so it's funny because even luke here you know he he's like one of those people that um uh you know like the earlier passage says that were moved by the spirit to not uh to, to help all not to set food in jerusalem i think this is again it's like like that like luke seeing all the he's just so burdened by because he doesn't want to lose paul he doesn't want paul to go and suffer but look at how paul responds verse 13 when paul answered what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for i am ready not only to be bound but even to die at jerusalem for the name of the lord jesus christ see paul was committed to christ and he understood that christ is worth dying for now there's a question that you want i want to ask you as a listening to this podcast do you find yourself as remotely committed to paul because we know that we're not right like we get very uncomfortable just sharing the gospel with people that we um they're just in our neighbor you know like we're not really as intentional as we should we're not really as devoted in prayer we don't really want to do the things that we uh that, that the scripture commands so it's no wonder that that you know america this nation is crumbling because christians are not really as committed to christ as they should you know we should be willing and there should always be people in our lives that we're praying for evangelizing to and living differently because that's what our what we're supposed to do but the only way that we can do that is if we understand and we're committed to the tasks and the commands that god has given us he wants us to make disciples of all nations so we need to commit to that goal and bringing people to christ to live holy lives to be a light in the world and Paul understood that, that he's willing to give up his life because Christ is worth dying for. Verse, four, verse 14, And since we, he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. So the people here, they understood that they cannot change Paul's mind. They understood God's will as well, that he was going to suffer, 
for uh, the Jesus name and he's still going to be used by the Lord in a very unique way. And I trust that that's for you, uh, you and I as well. If we want to be used by God well, we need to be committed to what he's instructed us to do. And I trust that as, if that is the case, God will use in such a mightiful way that will impact not just the city, not just the state, not just this country, but the entire world. But in order to, for us to have that gospel impact, we must not be afraid. And the only way for us not to be afraid is to be committed to the Lord and all that he's revealed in his word. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a great day.